Hello, everyone, and welcome to another new perspective, the podcast that brings you wisdoms and perspectives from all walks of life. Good morning, everybody. We have Bob back here with me for our second session, and um, I kind of want to dig a little bit deeper on a topic that you brought up. You mentioned to me in a session before, you mentioned last week a little bit, how um, you used music to teach life. Right. Right, and I really want to kind of like really like kind of pull that apart a little bit and, okay. and get some of your perspectives of, of how you see it that way and see if I can kind of relate it back to some of my stuff and see if we okay. can keep bouncing it back and forth a little bit. All right, love it. Well, this, this el- the elements of music are like melody, mm-hmm. harmony, rhythm, form, texture, um, orchestration. And so if you think about melody, your one melody, I'm another melody, we're all melodies. We all have our own, like soul, our own, our own thoughts. Right. And then, so I see all life as like music and then harmony. When you take a look at what's going on in the world today, it, harmony in music and in life is not necessarily that we agree. And in, in music, they use consonants and dissonances but all of those like feed off of one another. But real harmony is that we disagree, but we learn how to get along. Okay. And that's what real, that's what, to me, that's what harmony is, that we can have all these, all these disagreements, but then we can come to some midpoint and work something out. Right, so like the end of, end of the, you right. know, we have this, we're creating this song. Right. Right, and at the end, it all, in the end, it all works together. Right, because m- most of the great, Classical pieces of music have form. The composer will do an introduction, and then in some of the great pieces of music, they have an exposition, and they pr- introduce one theme, the A theme, and then they introduce another B theme, and then they have a development section where they take those themes and just build them all over the place. But in the meantime, they're, they're taking you in different keys and different dissonances and consonants and then... Almost like different the directions end, for a little bit and then yeah, coming back? Okay. Take, yeah, exactly. They take you off in a different direction and they're leading you there. And at the end, lots of times they have re- recapitulation where they take back the stuff that you heard before way back at the exposition, bring it back for you at the end and then resolve it. Okay. So, gotcha. So life has form. I mean, we're born, you know, we pass through the years and we die. What's interesting is and if you, because you, you're close to your dad, but if you really look at all the people in their life, in the last stages of their life, they kind of recapitulate what they've stood for their whole life. They don't change. Yeah. If they were a neat person way back then, they're still a neat person. Do you feel it comes out? I mean, you're, you're older, so I mean, do you feel like it comes back out like the person you were, like that you're, you thought you were when you were younger is like now coming back? Well, no, it, no or, not so much that. It's just that you are what you are. Yeah. So uh, I remember my dad, at, at, my dad was so neat, such, such a neat person. And he was in a hospital and, uh, and he said, Bob, could you straighten out my socks? Because the socks were crooked. Yeah. And I was saying to myself, cruelly, I was saying to myself, does it really matter? I just thought, it mattered to him. Yeah. That's what he always was. He was always neat. And even at the end of his life, hey, Bob, I'm still neat. Yeah. As a matter of fact, another thing that happened, too, with my dad was he had had a stroke, so 
He was in the hospital, and he said, look, be careful what you say, because he can hear you, but he just can't talk. Mm -hmm. So he, he had a stroke on the right side, so his left side was really powerful. So he would, when you went in, he'd hold his hand and say, Pa, you know, squeeze my hand, this is Bob, and he would squeeze your hand. And he would grab you and want you to pat his neck or kiss him. Well, my father was so neat. One day I had a blue turtleneck sweater, and he reached up and straightened out every wrinkle in my turtleneck sweater, oh, really? standing over him like for five minutes and said, <laughs> "Yeah." So I mean, even in that situation, he was what he was. Yeah. He recapitulated his life. Okay. Know? So so music has form and, and uh, melody, and then. The composers come and they orchestrate this and put this all together and take you off in different directions. And so, I mean, really, like if you think of like an orchestra like that, it's like each person's their own, yeah, their own voice. self, their, their own, own voice, voice. Yeah. yeah. And then you're like, I can see like, um, because a company is a gathering of, a, a keeping together of a bunch of people, right. right? A gathering of a bunch of right. people that for for a common goal, right. right? So you can look at like, you know, the composer is no different really than a CEO. Right. Or like a manager that's trying to like orchestrate all of right, the, right, all right, the people, right. like the melodies, you know. Right. So it's really interesting to kind of tie that, like right. the way you explain that, back into like, right. into life. Yeah. And then rhythm. I mean, you know, years ago, rhythm wasn't as frantic as it is today. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and then years ago, it wasn't as dissonant. What was dissonant like a hundred years ago? You mean like, like the yeah, other disagreement, yeah. Like, so I, what was like probably confusing rhythmically a hundred years ago today, like, you know, you hear the rhythms that they do in hip hop, well, I mean, it's so complicated. Yeah. But uh, so life emerges, you know. Right. But the other thing that's interesting too, because uh, my wife and I are quite spiritual in that I believe there's a creator, and the creator is the composer of this great orchestration result of the conductor yeah you know, of this whole thing right so you can't see your melody so much but all your notes are pretty important right you know your notes are important to me I mean that's why we come to see you right you know so hopefully my notes are important to you otherwise absolutely you'd be sitting here no absolutely I mean I yeah. I like um, there's there's something I I said to quite a bit of people, and I'm going to share this with you because I think, based on what you just said, it's very important right. that I can share this with you. Because I've been working on my own project for 11 years. Yeah. I've been following my own life path for 30 years. Like everything my intuition told me to do, I just did. Right. I'm like, just blindly go, okay, I'm going to listen to you because yeah. the times I didn't listen to you yeah. didn't work out so well right. in my favor. Right. So yeah. I learned that very young in life. I was like, right. follow your gut, follow your intuition, right. it's usually right. right. And it became my best friend. Right. And over the course of the last 20-some years of my life, one thing that there's not a single person that can change my mind about this is that you don't meet people by accident. Okay. You just don't. Like, okay. I, I find all the people i found along my journey where you feel like you're in a dark place, or you feel like you're like alone in the forest, you can't really figure out where you're right. supposed to go, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, hey, meet this person. You're like, oh, wow, thanks. Right? right? Like, I... <laughs> How did that happen? Like, I don't know how it happened. It just happened, and now you're here. And I always say, like, um, you know, there's a lot of younger people and people in general right now, and I think technology is a great thing. Like, you talked about Facebook a little bit last week, and I think 
you know, there's there's great things about building these networks and these connections, right? But I think when people say there's no opportunities right now, there's not there, there's just no opportunities right now. What's you know, like I don't know really what to do, where to go or what to do. And I was like, well, the the person that you would have walked into that you're supposed to meet for a purpose, you walked by look while you're looking at your phone, yeah. right? Because the the world's external. The world is the world is out in front of us. Right. Right, it's like this big expansive place. It's like you're walking through your own forest, but with the attention being drawn into the inward focus, right. the phone. I think people are missing these other melodies. Right, other. Ask you a question. So, if you think that all the people have been placed in your life and it wasn't you didn't you couldn't have picked them like that. Mm-mm. So, why wouldn't that happen to the person on the phone that someone bumps into him and says, "Excuse me." You mean as far as the person talking like. Yeah, because you're saying they're missing this because they're on a phone. But I mean, maybe they could bump into someone. They could. Yeah. No, they could. And like that, I think those opportunities still exist. Right. That you could have those random meetups, and they're like, "Wow, yeah, I'm really going." But you have to take advantage of them when they do happen. Exactly, action is important. Right. And a lot of there's so much. Like I remember back, God, this is ten years ago, when like the secret was kind of a really big thing when it came out, like the right. law of attraction type thing, and everybody's like. I just have to think about it, and I have to wish upon it, and like you know, like really focus my energy on it. But they never actually yeah. acted, right. right? You have it's the action. Right. I mean, I I work on things in my head all the time, and I'm right. imagining and creating in my mind. And right. but when you're done imagining and creating, you have to now build. Right. I read a great quote yesterday because I we Christian, but I, I like Rabbi. It's a Rabbi that writes every Sunday in the paper. And he quoted a, a Hindu philosopher, it's, and the philosopher said, I dreamt of life as joy. I awoke and thought it was service. I acted and found joy. Yeah, like that. That's exactly what you said. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you have to act on it. You have to act. Yeah. You can't just, you can think all you want, but then I think what happens, because I was in this point at one point in my life too, it was like, you're thinking on it, you're thinking on it, you're thinking on it, and then like you don't you don't follow through with any of it. Right. So like there was this other one, actually I'm gonna kinda of break off a second because I was listening to this um, this book. I'm pretty sure it was in Sapiens that I read this or heard the I'm listening to an audiobook, but he said that, you know, Homeo sapien is stands for knowing man. Okay. But he goes, I don't think that's correct. I think we've misnamed ourselves. Because we don't know without practice. Because we should have been practicing man, not knowing man, right? And that that action, that practice, right? You know that from music, right? You can't just pick up an instrument and just be Mozart, right? Like the practice of that is what creates the knowing, right? And I really like. How do you explain a Mozart? How do you explain a a Schubert? I mean, Mozart was writing great pieces of music at eight, nine years old. Right. He's playing a violin. I mean, even today, there are kids who are like eight years old and they haven't taken many years of lesson, but they get at the keyboard and they, to me, it's well, like, like reincarnation or something. Well, yeah, because Mozart was saying, I listened to the one, one of the talks I heard like you know, about creativity, and they said, you know, oh, Mozart would always say, like, you know, you start something. This is that whole idea of like right. uh, positive procrastination in regards to the, right. the idea of creativity. Is that you start it, you write it, you, you write a paragraph and put it away for a few months, and you right. come back to it, and all of a sudden, like you're just like you write ten pages about it, 
because your brain, your subconscious, the creative part of your subconscious is still working on that project. Yeah. Even no, though, Mozart and Schubert didn't work like that, though. Right. He, that's what I was saying in this talk. He said Mozart would... Um, he goes, entire symphonies would, would come out of my head at one time, just already pre-done, like all the work was already done on them. Exactly. Beethoven had to slave all that. Beethoven, like an example, he you write something and he had notebooks all scribbled all over the place, and then come back, but Mozart, even Gershwin, like, they, they just wrote. Yeah. Wasn't that uh, Beethoven, Beethoven was, didn't, couldn't hear his own symphonies, right? right? Exactly, like, yeah. he was deaf, at that's what I thought. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was really fascinating to learn about that, too. Yeah. Um, he felt it though. He could hear it. He could still hear it. Right, the vibration he, alone. He could. No, he could hear. He could hear what he wrote. Okay. Because I mean, when you write music, you you have an idea of what the pictures sound like. You know? Right, I can see that. So he he uh, he could hear all of that. So. Yeah. No, it's interesting because my wife and I have talked a lot. I, I talk a lot about this myself, because I I think I told you I don't want this to be about me. But after high school, I I ended up. Because my parents only had a fourth grade education, came from Madeira Island. I took my mother to one mill and I went to another mill. And where, okay. But I, I was studying. What kind of mill? Textile mill. Okay. I, I was working on sleeves for the whole week. Oh, really? I tied sleeves for the whole week. The next week I was tiling, tying back. It's, I was a bundle boy. I had a tile. Hey, bundle okay. boy. Hey, bundle gotcha. boy. Get over here. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, but I had been studying with a trumpet teacher, and then he got drafted into the service. And I worked that one summer with my two buddies, and then they went off to college. Mm -hmm. And I was in the mill by myself with all these old people. And so when she is, I looked up, I said, God, 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 there's <laughs> got to be more than this, please. And I called my old music teacher and said, I want you to get in touch with Jose da Costa. And he, he started teaching me theory and harmony. And then Jose de Costa says, I'm going to set you up with a, a member of the Boston Symphony so you could take trumpet lessons. And I'm going to start with him. And then he said, I'm going to set you up. Now we're going to get prepare auditions for college. And then I go to college and I meet this other professor who says, I'm going to watch over you because they know you're married and let me help you. And like, Just, that's what I'm saying. Like the, once, you, once you act, I feel like the... Like the um, the chain reaction of things. Yeah. Whether you know, we, we can never see the math on the other end, but it's right. exponential, right? Because you you act this, do this, right. and then this, and they seem like these tiny little things. Right. They're nothing. They're like, but they're something, right? Because right? like yeah. it, it matters. Some, everything, every piece of it matters. The other thing too is Elaine and I left. I went to Lowell. I went Barnum and Bedford. Went to Lowell, Mass. A hundred miles away, we had no apartment. I was out of school for five years, and like. And we move, and that's scary. I'm not wondering, am I gonna, am I gonna be able to compete with these kids? Yeah. You know what kind of talent do I have? And then we don't have an apartment. Then we meet this older couple who hadn't rented a place for years because they're so particular. And they looked at us and said, "You like this place?" I said, "Look, you got it." And when Elaine got pregnant, because they never had kids, when they had, when she got pregnant, she says, "We're gonna babysit for nothing." And when you're ready, you can go back to work. And so our daughter became like their daughter because they never had a child. Oh, wow. That's you know? awesome. So, I mean, we met those people who watched over. I mean, like... Yeah. No, it's, it's mind-blowing. It just goes on and on. I, uh, I've been sharing the story because, like, I don't know. It's like I've become obsessive, but I'm also the idea that, you know, those little intricacies matter in the end, right? right. And that... So... 
all the new people for the last two years that came to see me in my office, I write handri- handwritten thank you notes to, okay. and I send them off. But instead of just handing them to the mailman or putting them in the mailbox or whatever and like throwing them in some box mm-hmm. wherever I'm at as, a, as I'm going around, mm-hmm. I'm always passing the post office in five points. And there's a blue mailbox right out front, just like you see everywhere. And I take them all down there. Oh. Not really out of my way usually, because I'm usually passing that right. to go drop somebody off or whatever. And um, I take all the, all the letters I send out, and I put them, I arrange them neatly on the on the little flap. And I don't know why I started saying this, but I was like, I get ready to send them off, and I go, to space, and I send them off. Okay. Okay. I've done this like at least 300 times, if not 400 times, yeah. right, for all these people. And it's like the idea that because I started doing it, that I felt that every single person after that deserved the same level of respect okay. as the first person I did it for. Right. right? And now I just keep doing that because okay. to me, like, everything matters in some way. And if, if that adjusts right. the math in some crazy exponential way right. down the line, then that mattered. Right. Right? And, like, that's why I talk about, like, really big on level of service. Right? Like, right. I feel like... Um, people in our world don't really understand the level of service they're missing, right? I, I grew up in a very small town, but it also I, I was able to catch the tail end of the guy that cleans your windshield and, like, checks your oil for you and, like, all that when you get gas, right? Like, that level of service, right? So when I work in here, like, that's that's what I try to provide. I want, I want to go, I love the future, and I'm building stuff that involves augmented reality and AI and all this stuff, but... I wanted to bring along these little tools, these little like nuggets from right. the past, and I'm like, I really appreciated that, right. and I really appreciated this and that, you're right? And I'm like, right. I'm just tugging them along with me. I'm like, you guys will appreciate this in the future, right? right? And that's the whole idea. Of I, think, I think, I think you you've hit on something really important that I really believe in, and it's service. Mm-hmm. You you think you are doing something for someone? You're being served. Because you're bringing them so much joy, you have no idea. Yeah. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Well, I mean, I have to. Like, I don't, I don't really know any other way right. at this point. Right. Like, it's not. They always say that with entrepreneurship, it's like, if you're doing it for money, and I learned this a few, three years ago already, right. easily, because I was like, I was going to do it for my Porsche, right. which I still am, but like, I was going to make all this money, and like, maybe I still am, or whatever, but like, that goes away so fast. Because it's right. so incredibly hard. Right. I mean, like, walking through a dark forest right. with just you, and, like, you have no idea where you're going. It's like, right. you know, something else has to tug you along right. because there's literally nothing tangible that will right. that will get you out of bed in the morning right. keep going. I, I think service is really... Can I divert a minute? Absolutely. Well, you know, I was watching... I was, like, a director of music in my town, and I became good friends with a principal... Okay. And then he retired early and found out he had Lou Gehrig's disease. So I would go visit him. I told my wife, I'm going to go give Kyle some of my time. So I went there and I saw him being able to eat. Then I saw him with big plastic spoons and knives. Then I saw his wife feeding him. Then I saw where he couldn't speak anymore. Then I saw him blinking on a board. And, you know, I went through all of that. And every time I went there, I thought, I'm going to go give him my time. But I learned so much, even when we couldn't even talk to one another anymore. Mm-hmm. And so what I, what I would do is 
I would, every time we went on a trip, a music trip, I would give them a video of our trip. Okay. And then every single year when we had like an away f- football game, I had about 150, 175 kids in my marching band. Oh, wow. We would go up the street before the game. It might be early evening. We would do a whole field show on his front lawn for him. And his, he would sit in the window. Oh, wow. The kids bought his wife roses. All the kids were bawling. We were all bawling. And we did a whole field show, 150 kids in, in the street. And all the neighbors came out. And at the end of the year, I, I, I would always speak with each kid individually. You know, what was the, and that particular, some years we went to Florida, Disney World, and marched mm-hmm. in Disney World. And we watched, marched in Washington, D.C. and the Cherry Blossom Festival. At the end of the year, I would ask the kids, uh, what was the best event you had this year? The McDermott Show. Oh, really? The McDermott Show. It wasn't Disney World, so mm. they they felt this sense of giving, you know. Yeah. So. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, and every every time I left his house, I thought I was going there to serve him. One last story: the last time I was able to see him before he passed away, is sitting in a chair, and his son was over with his with with the son's daughter, so McDermott's granddaughter. And so his son sit him in the chair, and I would sit, and, and then he, his brain was still so sharp. He could type out a joke, and his son would read the alphabet. He would actually have oh, wow. to spell out a joke. Oh, wow. It could be like yeah. 20 minutes. And say, <laughs> say, Mr. McDermott, that's like me spelling out the punch. How, do you, how can you remember that? You know, so, yeah. so his son put him in the chair, and, and then he's like, he was uncomfortable, so his son straightened him out. And, and then and his, son, his son straightened him out. And then his son said, come on, Dad, I don't have all day. And his son's a really nice kid. You know, yeah. but, and then Mr. McDermott started to cry because he felt like he's imposing. His granddaughter, four years old, now I'm sitting like over there. What? She kneeled down in front of him and says, Papa, look at me. Breathe slow with me. Watch me, Papa. Breathe. And she said, I'm, I'm looking, I'm sitting there just like this. Four-year-old kid is teaching me something. Yeah. You know? That's, so that's amazing. I, the point I'm trying to make is I was going there to serve. He was serve. He, he served me all the time. Yeah, I did something, but he, he gave me more. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a perfect, I, I love that you brought up the, that last story about the four-year-old, though, because I think we lose track because as we get, you know, we get lost in our own, like, puzzle of life, of trying to, like, figure this whole thing out. But what we forget about is that sometimes our teachers aren't ahead of us yeah. or right along with us. Yeah, sometimes the, the, the very best teachers you can find is remembering why we even started. Right, and that's why that's why so much of my stuff is child based. It's all it's you know we play on the floor with blocks or we play in the cube. Which my dentist my dentist one time she goes you know the cube it's just like a giant pack and play right. Yeah. I mean like essentially if you like put yourself in that perspective it is and like a pack and play and like kids play and like when you're like really little, yeah. you know and it's like. But as I watched children, I got to relearn what childhood was all about, yeah. and they, they I, I saw this on a, a quote one time they were saying like. You know, you don't 
ha- when you have children, it's not that you're teaching or raising them or teaching them. You're learning how to be a child again. You're learning more about you again yeah. from the beginning, yeah. right? And Once I think you're with you for God. Yeah, because there's there's so much these little simplicities and these little things. You're like, oh my God, like, yeah. why do we why do we make so, everything so complex when really most of the world is very simple still? Yeah. And I always say all the time, it's like, when did when did simple become so complex? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we complicated it for the kids. Yeah. In the schools. Does it, does it help them? I mean. <laughs> Oh, no, because no. I mean, we could teach them like life is pretty simple. It's not easy. There's a lot to figure out. It's very conundrum-y, as we call it, as my girlfriend and I say. But it's very quite simple. And I think like um, something about adults love complexity because it feels it gives something more value. Yeah. It's challenging. It's hard. It must be worth a lot of money because it's really hard to do. But in the end, it's just like I would say like if if you don't know how to like run, you have to at least start walking. Yeah. And then walk faster, and then walk yeah. faster, and walk faster, yeah. and then yeah. maybe jog, and then, yeah. right? Is that yeah. if you don't start at all, that's the whole practicing man thing. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't begin, right, then you don't, you, you don't even know you're not you're going to get anywhere. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I think I think society complicates stuff for kids. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I think so. I think it, I don't understand it. I mean. I was I was privileged to be brought up in a family of entrepreneurship. The business that we had was in event planning. We were doing um, put up a, we had those big festival tents like the okay. anywhere from like a twenty by twenty up to like a forty by one hundred and sixty. Okay. So like small up to pretty good right. size. A lot of that you had to be creative all the time and figure out the logistics, figure out how to get this whole thing together, where it's going to go, and how you're going to get it up, and like. Right. You know, but you're helping people plan that on the phone. I was doing this. When I was 10 years old. People call and I was like, okay, we well can put, you know, four of these tables inside of this size of tent, and you know, and like because that way people are so comfortable and all that. I was doing that as a child. You know, so did that, and then when I went into logistics, you're put into these situations where you have, you know, it's the ultimate story problem, which I was terrible at story problems in school, but like I guess when they're in real life, yeah. you have 40 trucks, 107 deliveries. And everything has to deliver today. And you know, these guys that can drive now, these guys can drive later, and these guys can drive all day. Yeah. You know, and you're like, okay, how do I get all this to happen? Well, that's your giant art project. Yeah. You're taking all of these pieces, all these brushes and all these colors and stuff like that, and you're trying to create one masterpiece each day. Yeah. And that's what I loved about that. That you're orchestrating you are. right? All these pieces. You all have, those melodies. Yeah, you have you have these trucks that run, but they don't run by themselves because you have a, a a human that has to be in there. Well, what if they have to call in sick, or what if something happens, or we're not getting back in time, and then you have all these stores that have to go, and you're, you're just like, you're just creating this like amazing thing. Yeah. But my whole life, my whole life, I've had something that allowed me to create. And I think if we can, we could preserve that yeah. through music, preserve that through art, or I don't know, like creating ways that we can really teach the, and preserve the creative process. Because yeah. I would say this this way, is that we're given the ability in our brains and our minds to create our own reality. And the printer has unlimited power. As much printer and toner and, and like ink that you can possibly imagine, right? When someone starts to create something, 
by the time the printing process has even begun, you've already moved on to something else, right? You're like, oh, that's taking too long. I'm going to go do this instead. But the other piece that I say is that just like any other printing, with how many pages you print or how much color it has or, or what's on it and all this kind of stuff, or 3D printing now, is that the cost of the print job is equal to the sacrifice you're willing to pay to have it printed. Okay, yeah, good point. Yeah. Right, so like how much are you willing to sacrifice or pay for your dream right. to create you your dream? this much, that's all you're gonna get out that's of it. That's all you're gonna get out of it. Right. So that's that action or that's that like, what are you willing to give right. to get back? Yeah. Right, and I think that's missing. I think like if we can preserve the creative process to one, but then realize that the printer is very slow. It's not, it doesn't print like that. Right. It, it prints very, very slow right. and it takes time. And, and we, we, um, we, we rush everything. We want everything right now. Well, the other thing too is, uh, especially in today's society, kids are not supposed to fail. And they're all supposed right. to get jackets. They're all supposed to get trophies. I mean, you're not supposed to tell them that was terrible. Yeah. You know, like, <clears throat> so, I mean, I think it's important that when you try something you feel, pick yourself up and try again. If you can't go through the door, then go under the floor. If you can't go under the floor, go over the roof. And open the ceiling. And Some way, through. yeah. Just get get over there, you know? But I think a lot of kids, if they don't get the trophies, just, you didn't like me. Yeah. You know? Or it's uh, politics of some kind yeah, or whatever. Yeah, and I, I think it's important that kids learn how to pick themselves up if they fail. Right. Yeah. Well, I think, um, so I did a talk on this on a video the other day, and it's like, when you're, when you're learning how to walk, and all the humans, all the adults around you are going, come on, you can do it, come on, you can do it, and there were all this big encouragement, and we're like, we don't learn how to, remember learning how to walk, so we can't even, we can't play off of how it felt to be encouraged, right? So I think that's a big piece of it, or part of it. But we have all these people around us that are going, come on, you can do it, come on, you can do it, keep trying, keep trying. And then we learn how to walk, and we do it, and we keep doing that. And then at some point it changes to where instead of encouraging each other to keep trying, we go, well, your way sucks. My way is better. Yeah. I would never do that that way. Yeah. Like, you know, and we start like beating each other down. So I had this thought, I was like, where would we be at in our world if all we ever did was kept encouraging each other to keep trying? Yeah. Instead of spending all of our time telling everybody how much better our idea is and their way sucks. Yeah. But I'm not, I don't have enough courage myself to build the idea I think is better than yours. Yeah. Well, the other thing too is because we have three children and uh, when they're learning how to walk, they did a lot of that on their own. And we, they're in the playpen and they get up and they start. You know, so, figure I mean, it out, yeah. I mean, we, help, we would certainly encourage them, but there was, I think there was a lot of some of that natural stuff. Right. Naturally. Well, there is, like the movement stuff, because I study infant development. You know, there is a lot of things that are innately part of us that we have to figure out. And like, and why, one of the things they talked about in that class was that a lot of parents try to prematurely stand their kids up yeah. before they're able or like sit them up before right. they're able. And it's like, you know, the body isn't designed yet for that. And like they have a natural ability to keep building this up to get to whether they're, they're ready to get it. Right, exactly. Unless there's something physically wrong. Right, exactly. No, you know, every, there's, there's never a perfect situation. Right. But yeah, I really like the, I, th I like this tie together of music because it really helped me like the orchestration and the melodies right. and stuff like that. I really right. be able to see it all together. This is fun. Yeah.
So I think we should um, keep evolving on this next week or when you come back. I'm not sure when you're coming back, so in a few weeks. Thank you again for taking the time to listen. I look forward to sharing more with you on future episodes. If you need to contact me, you can reach me at anothernewperspective101 at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Have an awesome day.